Be'ezrus Hashem Yisbarech. We will continue Geres HaKodesh, the holy letters of the Balatanya, letter 11, which is known as Laskil Chabina, to enlighten you with understanding. We are going into the idea of enlightenment, the way the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe explains it. We're explaining that in order to understand the core of enlightenment, in order to understand these profound three lines that the Alter Rebbe says over here, which is that not by the path, that not by this path will the light of God dwell within a person which is the desiring of the flesh, the life of the flesh, desiring children and desiring wealth, materiality, not by that path will the light of God dwell within a person. And Al-Tarebbe goes on, for the sages of blessed memory, Ki amru our sages of blessed memory have said, Batal nullify your will out of deference, nullify your will in front of Hashem's will. This means that one should set aside his own will because it does not coincide with Hashem's will. It doesn't mean just that one should set aside his own will. But one should not have, he should, his will, his desire in this world should be so nullified to God that he has no desire whatsoever for any worldly matters. And what does worldly matters mean? That means children, life, and sustenance, and wealth. And we have spent all this time giving these hagdamas and going deep into this idea because these three lines are the hardest lines to understand in the whole entire Tanya. And as he finishes off, one should live in the spirit of the teaching of our sages of blessed memory, that against your will do you live. And without these hagdamas and without spending enormous amount of time to try to understand what these three lines are, this will seem very, very bizarre. Because over here the Balatanya says to a person who is suffering, who is going through a tremendous amount of pain, the Alter Rebbe tells him, I want to enlighten you with understanding and I want to explain to you that this is not the path by which the light of God will dwell within you, if you desire a life of the flesh, a life of children, a life of materiality, of, of sustenance. And we've explained at length that this is the beginning of enlightenment. If you understand this concept, if you can get this with your mind's eye, this is the beginning of enlightenment. In fact, as soon as you get it, 
a light switch goes off in your head and you start to perceive reality in an entirely different way. So the ego's perspective, from the ego's perspective, from the external part of the heart, from the outside of a person's heart, when he sees this sentence, it scares him. It's misunderstood and it scares him, it frightens him to go deep into this. What does it mean that I should have no desire in any worldly matters? My whole life is built on desiring worldly matters. And we've begun to explain that the root of all suffering, the beginning of all suffering is the security that man puts in his hopes and in his future. And we've also discussed that if somebody goes very deep into this idea, he will see that his attachments, his attachments to everything in this world, it is the attachments alone that is stopping him from becoming enlightened. Because the beginning of enlightenment happens when a person ends all his attachments. Because his attachments are stopping him from living. Because in fact, life itself is a very natural state. A person will hope and crave for another few moments on this world as he is about to die. And the life that he craves at that moment has nothing to do with attachments, has nothing to do with the desires. There's no desire at all at that moment other than just to be alive. But a person is so consumed with so much content, the content of his consciousness... Life is something that happens to a person naturally. You don't have to do anything to be alive. Life is the most pleasurable experience in the world. A person doesn't have to do anything. But by trying to do something with life is where all suffering begins. And the question that we have must propose is, can we live with this enlightenment that the Balatanya is going to share with us over here? Can we live with this enlightenment to the point that it will change our life? And I believe the answer to this is only if we go deep into what this enlightenment is. And that's why we spent all these weeks going through this. And many people have told me that their lives have entirely changed. Because they are much more interested now in the purpose of their life than what they are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Now we have discussed that in order to understand this sentence, what the Balatanya says over here, which is one of the most fascinating sentences in the whole entire Tanya, we must go very, very carefully deep into the wedding. Because we have explained that the words that Al-Tarab is using over here, Yishkon Oir Hashem, the light of God dwelling in a person's body, is very foreign language. It's not something that a person wakes up in the morning thinking about. It's not something that this person asked Al-Tarab. And according to the Al-Tarab, according to the Balatanya, in chapter 36 in Tanya, this is the core, this is the purpose why you were created. And therefore we have to see what does it look like? What does it look like 
to have the light of God dwell in my body. And if we could see that very carefully, then we could start to desire that. Then we could start to crave that. Then we could start to look for that. Then we can begin to understand why our attachments are the beginning of all suffering. And this is a very, very important thing to meditate on. Which is, before I capture this sentence of enlightenment, do I with my mind's eye see what does it look like? That the light of God should dwell in my body. Because if I could see that with my mind's eye, I will see how all the desires of the flesh, all the desires that a person has in this world, pales in comparison. They are insignificant. They get obliterated. They get nullified. They get abrogated. They completely disappear in the face of Yishkun Do you understand what that means? We are saying that the beginning of enlightenment is not a job you have to do. The Balatani is not talking about a job. Enlightenment means that the light goes on. The light switch goes on. It becomes crystal clear for you. You become enlightened. And as long as you hold on to that enlightenment, as long as you hold on to that clarity in your mind, you will not anymore have any desires, any physical tangible desires. You will automatically you lose your attachments. If you can see for one moment in time, the power of Yishkin or Hashem, what does that look like? That the light of God is dwelling in a person's body. If you can see how that looks, if you could see for one moment how that looks, instantly, a person's attachments to his own fulfillment, his own hopes will instantly disappear. And for that reason, we have spent... If you sure I'm going very deep into what is the beginning of a wedding? What is a wedding? Because we said in order to understand the wedding, in order to understand the wedding, which would happen a Matan Torah, which is the wedding between the Jewish people and God, we must go deep into our own wedding. And in order to go deep into our wedding, we need to see very carefully what happens at a wedding. And then we need to see that my wedding is a metaphor for the wedding with the Jewish people with Hashem. And when I go back and forth, panoramically, looking at the wedding that I have with Hashem, on Matan Torah, which was the Yom Tov we just came from, and looking at what happened at the moment of Matan Torah, and then looking at what happened at the moment of my wedding, then maybe I could begin to see what does it look like for one moment in time that Yishkan Eir Hashem, that the light of my soul or the light of God dwells within my body. And we have explained that at the moment of chuppah is the moment of the pledge. This is the moment of true attachment. True light of my soul coming deep into my body. Because in the moment of my chuppah, the chosen and kala stand together as one unit covered up with their eyes closed, with a tremendous meditation, 
for a tiny moment in time, paled in comparison to their whole entire life, paled even in comparison to the whole entire wedding, paled in comparison to all the beginning of the choreography that goes into the wedding, and what's going to be after the wedding. For one moment in time, they're going to stand together, and they're going to pledge unison, in soul, in body, and in spirit. And they pledge to take each other, to wrap in each other, to become one with each other. In mind, in heart, in spirit, in body and soul. And at that moment there's no joy. That's a weird. That's a, there's no joy that you see. There's no desires. There's no hopes. There's no aspirations. There's no pleasure. There's an uncontained ecstasy in that moment. The tension of that moment is so powerful. Because the pledge, the, the wedging, the attachment, the true attachment of the souls in those two bodies, the true the attachment is something beyond anything you can imagine. Because in the face of that tension, in the face of that moment, there's a tremendous amount of regret for my past. Because in that moment you're forgiven for your sins. Why? Because Yishkanot Hashem. Because the light of your soul comes so deeply within inside you. At that moment you have no hopes, you have no aspirations, you're not looking for anything. You're becoming one with another person and you want that moment to be so holy, so sanctified, so pure. You want every, every ounce of anything that you're hoping for is completely gone. All of the... All of the build up of this wedding, all of the materiality is gone at that moment. Nobody's thinking about the materiality. Because you hold your other spouse in such, with such love, with such, with such cherishment, with such devotion. You are so, a person is so alive at the moment of his chuppah. That there's no recording, there's no memory. Every part of his body is taken over. He has not eaten the, the whole entire day. And the, the girl has not eaten the whole entire day. And they're pledging a unison that's beyond anything you could possibly imagine. Because the whole entire life they're going to live with that. At that moment they become attached. And at that moment, everything is still. Their whole entire desires, their whole entire pleasures, their whole entire aspirations are nullified, completely nullified. And we are saying therefore that every person in their life on some level has seen a little bit of what does Yishkin Oed Hashem look like? What does the light of my soul look like in my body? What does the light of it look like? And we have said that this that a person experiences by the wedding which in the face of that attachment, the true attachment, meaning what type of attachment? The dwelling of my soul and my spouse's soul in our bodies. The recognition that we are both one, that we were brought back together, that we were previously one unit, we were a zivug, we were one unit 
in heaven, and now we're experiencing this, we are discovering each other in this world. In the face of that energy, for that one moment under the chuppah, in the face of that energy, not when that energy is going to dissipate later on after the wedding, but in the face of that energy, no drama would be able to exist in the face of that. No drama at all. Because at that moment, if you were to able to stop the moment and hold the moment for a minute, and ask the chas and kala what they would be ready to do for their spouse at that moment. There would be no question, no question could even come up in the face of that energy. It's only the dissipation of that energy. It's only the dissipation of that enlightenment. That gets confused where the person says, what could I benefit from this marriage? What could I get out of this marriage? Instead of what I could give from this marriage. And over here is where we see something very fascinating. That we have discussed that there's the mineral, the objects, where the wedding is taking place. And there's the vegetable. Which is the flowers and the food. And then there's the animal, which is also the food that we're going to eat, but more importantly, it's the animals, all the animal, the social interactions that all the people are going to have. Because people bring to the table the animal that they have, which is the social interactions, which is the joy, the happiness. So there's the mineral, there's the vegetable, there's the animal. And all of that will become sublimed, all of that will become elevated to the human. To the meaning of it all. What's the meaning of the wedding? Why are we all dancing? Why are we all eating? We are all coming to celebrate this wedge, this attachment, this pledge, this unison of husband and wife coming together. We're all going to watch how the Qasr looks at the Kala and he sees a queen. And we're all going to watch how the queen sees a king. And we're all going to engage in that ecstasy together, that joy together of them coming together. And we're going to help them create a tremendous energy which will forge their consciousnesses into one unit. And we will show them what it means to hold this. To hold and love each other. To hold in the dance of love, the cherishment, and all of these containers, and all of this experience, mineral, vegetable, animal, is to show how important this is. Intellectually, with your human, with your meaning of it. It's much more different than animals that get married, that propagate, that have children. Animals that have social, taking advantage of each other. Because there is the animal kingdom, even in the human kingdom. Animals, humans, lower themselves down into animal kingdom. And the same eyes that you use as a human in your head, you can use with your heart, which creates desire, which wants to take advantage, to use people, manipulate them. Conquer them, build yourself, build your ego, build your chayim basarim, build the animal inside of you. Because you have these four levels inside of you. You have the level of mineral, which is when you're asleep. And you have the level of vegetable, which is when you're alone by yourself. And you're growing and you're internal and there's no eyes, you're not looking outward. And then you have your animal, which is you're interacting with people the whole entire day. Your spouse, your children, your community members, your employer, your employees. Your interaction, when you go out of your loneliness, when you start to use your eyes with your heart, 
the heart starts to use your eyes. Right? Animals have eyes. Vegetables have no eyes. Vegetables just grow, they grow, they grow, and they die. Or they grow and they become a food for the animal. So you're growing yourself in your own psychological, spiritual sphere when your eyes are closed. When you wake up in the morning, you're growing. And you're talking to yourself in your mind. You're not talking to nobody. And a few minutes later, you're going to interact with your spouse. You're going to interact with your children. You're going to interact with your boss. You're going to interact with people. That's the animal. And a big part of people are going to try to see what they could conquer, what they could get out of it, who they could use, how could they manipulate. And that's the animal kingdom. But is the meaning of my animal that I should take my, my, my human, my intelligence, and put that into my animal? As so many people do, they build the whole life of the animal kingdom, that everybody should know that I'm the strongest animal. Of course, they don't say it like that. But that my ego is the biggest ego in town. And I have everybody giving me all the compliments, and I built myself, and I became famous for one moment in time, where I could conquer, where I could use. Or do we discover at the moment of my chuppah that my animal is subsumed to my human, which my human is doyme, la'odma alien. My human is the intellect of all intellects, which is the soul of my consciousness, which is a glimpse of what God is, which is infinite. So in the moment of my chuppah, I'm ever elevating all of these experiences, my mineral, my vegetable, my animal, my mineral is my, my containers, my feet, my sleep, my experience. A big part of my day is nothing. It's nonsense. There's no spiritual life. I'm, a big, I'm asleep. I'm in the car. I'm doing things that are just there to hold my personality, my growth. And then the second part of my life is my internal growth when I'm alone. And my third part of my life is my animal interactions that I have with everybody. And then at tiny moments in my day, I'm saying, Krishna, I'm discovering my purpose. I'm closing my eyes. I'm learning Torah. I'm focusing on my purpose. I'm enlightened for a few moments in my day. Few hours or whatever the amount of time is. For some people it's a few hours. For some people it's a few moments. And for some people they're entirely asleep. So at the moment of my chuppah, I discover something so powerful, which is the human of my human, which is the soul of my whole entire body, because that's going to be the soul of my marriage. Yishkun Hashem of my whole entire marriage. What's the soul of my marriage? What's the meaning of my marriage? Yes, I'm going to have monotonous days, where I'm going to see my spouse, and it's going to seem boring. And there's going to be times when there's going to be misunderstandings. But what was the head of my marriage? What was the core of my marriage? What was the soul of my marriage? My marriage is a long span of time, 50 years, 60 years. But what was the birth of my marriage? What was the meaning of my marriage? What was the human of my marriage? Was it my animal? Was it what I could get? Or did I see my spouse as a queen or a king? Because I want to hold them in that love. Because I want to serve them. Because I want to give them. And over here we see a tremendous, tremendous idea. That a person wakes up the day after his wedding. And his heart, his heart that was pumping, was asleep. As he was sleeping the night of his wedding. And that's called mineral. 
My heart is pumping. What's my heart doing? It's just pumping. It's asleep. It's mineral kingdom. It's object. My heart is an object while I'm asleep. Nothing. No feeling. Just doing its job, keeping me alive. And then all of a sudden I wake up and I say, Moidani lefanecha. And my spouse is still sleeping. But now I have sensations in my body. Feeling. Now my heart wakes up from being mineral, it becomes vegetable. And it starts to feel. My whole entire body, I start to feel now in my heart. So my heart's pumping, which is the mineral, but now it's also feeling. I have sensation. And in my mind, I right away see the wedding. Wow, what an amazing wedding. What an unbelievable. And I see my spouse near me. And I believe I, have a, I see I have a new life and I feel this, but I'm alone. Because I'm still in my termeach, I'm in my vegetable kingdom. My heart now is feeling. I feel that I'm alive. I feel what it means to be living right near my spouse. And I have this feeling, tremendous feeling. And then a few minutes later, my spouse wakes up. And now, my heart is not only pumping, but it's also feeling. But now I say good morning to my spouse. And the, the animalistic interaction starts. My heart is not just feeling. It's getting. And my spouse tells me what a beautiful wedding it was. And she gives me a compliment. And now my animal kingdom is woken up because my animal of my heart woke up. Because now I'm not just feeling, but I'm getting and giving love. But then as the conversation progresses over coffee, could you imagine if all of a sudden we discuss now and we talk about the idea that we are about to count the money that we made in our wedding. And since we have relatively okay amount of money, we both decide that as a right way to start off as our life, we both decide that let's say we're going to take the 10, the 20, the 5, whatever thousand dollars it's going to be and we're going to give it away to charity. Now we have transcended from what I can get out of this marriage to what I can give with this marriage in unison. We are all of a sudden now the heart got elevated from animal, from what I could get to what I can give. Which it pales in comparison because it lives off the life that I realized during my chuppah. Do you understand? A person can't live in his chuppah every single day in his life because then he's not going to be living. But the idea of life, the purpose of life, is to live with his kuppah every day of his life. To live with that type of love. To live with a love with what I can give. Because then I tap deep into the core of my heart. Because then my heart is youthful. Then my heart is live. Then my heart is afresh. People say, what are you talking about? I want to be attached to my things. You're going to tell me, the altar Rebbe is going to tell me the root of enlightenment is give up all my attachments? You tell me, what does a life look like? What does a heart look like? A heart that's getting... Or a heart that's giving. A heart that's getting the external of the heart. It's limited. How many compliments could you get a day? How many meals can your spouse give you? At which point you get bored. And you say, I'm upset because I'm getting what I want. Or because I'm not getting what I want. But a heart that's giving unconditionally, unattached, is youthful, it's vibrant, it's, it's alive. It's Yishkenoi Hashem. The light of God is dwelling in that heart. What type of heart do you want? What type of life do you want? Do you want a life where you can live with your chuppah, where you're giving your spouse, you're never even asking one time when I can get a return. Because that does the heart. Because that limits the heart. That keeps the heart in Chayim Besodom. It keeps it in the animal kingdom. 
Or a heart that's surrendered, a heart that's purely about giving. Where the heart is so alive, it's pumping, it's so excited, it's so infinite, it's unattached. The infinite core of the heart is just to give and give more and give more. And you're, you're high from giving because you're completely alive, because you're fresh and youthful, because every moment you're purely alive. And that's a life of Yishkin or Hashem. That's what he's talking about over here. But if you're attached to some fulfillment, if after your chuppah you forget, and you're waiting for your spouse to worship you, it's going to end in disaster. It's going to end in pain. You'll be dealing with shalom bias issues. You'll be trying to mediate what I can get out of this wedding. Because the purpose of this wedding is what I can give. How I can become human. How I, we can become one. How could be Yishkenar Hashem? And Yishkenar Hashem is the ability to have a fresh, vibrant, youthful, passionate heart. And that can only happen if you're giving. Because if you're giving, it's the core of your heart that's alive. But if you're getting, it's the external part of your heart and it's dull. It's chayim besarim. But it pales in comparison to what you're able to give. Because what you're able to give is Yishkenar Hashem.